Last Sunday evening, I snapped. I did. And I had a hammer in my hand. And when I snapped, I took that hammer and I began beating a bookshelf in my den that I had hated for over 15 years. That bookshelf was ugly. It had always been ugly. That bookshelf was too big. The bookshelf was ill-placed, and because of where it was in the room for 15 years, we had never been able to figure out how to arrange or decorate that room in any pleasant way at all. A friend was there. It was Scott. He said, I have a bigger hammer in my car, and I said, go get it. (laughs) So Scott went and got his hammer. I said, give me the big one, and I gave him the little one. And together we started pounding and beating away at this bookshelf and the nails that held it together were enormous and they were uh, plenteous as we tried to get that bookshelf out of the wall. We were soon joined by another, Ian, who came and the three of us, in the course of two hours, got rid of that bookshelf and it was gone. And finally when the bookshelf was gone, when it was out of the room, I realized why I hated it so much. Because that bookshelf had never been anything but a source of clutter. Its very existence cluttered the room. The stuff we put on it to try to make it look not so bad cluttered the room and made it even more cluttered, and so the room was just always cluttered. And the clutter kept us from doing anything with that room. The clutter kept that room from being what it was supposed to be, a warm and welcoming place for a family to hang out. What it's become this week, even though the room isn't finished, even though I'm not done yet, it's a place I want to be. I want to drink my coffee there. I want to watch TV in there. And so I've been kicking myself, saying, why didn't I do this sooner? Why didn't I do this when all five children were at home so we could have together enjoyed this great room? But that's what clutter does. Clutter keeps things from being the way they're supposed to be, what they could be. Jesus hated clutter. He went to the temple and he looked around and he saw clutter everywhere. It's like a marketplace, a flea market, buyers and sellers selling all sorts of things right there in the temple. Money changers, cheating people, exchanging uh, money there. People were just passing through the temple court. It was a shortcut on the way from this place to the other. Clutter everywhere. Jesus got rid of it. Out! He drove the buyers and the sellers out, flipped over the tables of the money changers. Out! The clutter was keeping the temple of the Lord from being what it was supposed to be, a place of worship. A place of prayer. How could anyone see God the Father in the temple with all the clutter? So Jesus cleared it away. We need to look at our lives as individuals. We need to look at our life together as a church and clear away the clutter. The stuff, even that we think is good and necessary, that really prevents us from engaging in ministry. Clutter that prevents us from real kingdom-building activities what prevents us from making disciples and bringing about spiritual transformation. Stuff that we've grown so used to, we don't even see it as clutter anymore. Well, we've always done things that way. Get rid of the clutter. And then we have the satisfaction that comes from focusing on what's important, from doing what's important. This morning, as we return once again to Matthew chapter 10, we can see that ministry can can be clean and focused and simple. Not easy. But simple, clear, focused. And my prayers will inspire us to do the same thing as we look at our lives, as we look at our life together as a church. Clear, focused ministry for the Lord. So if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 10, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. 
Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Let's pray together. Father, teach us again, we pray, from your word. You've given us your spirit. Now we pray that he would give us understanding of your truth. Lord, the truth that is 2,000 years old, may it be real and relevant and life-changing to us today. We need your help to do that. So we ask that you will now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If we are to keep our lives and our ministry, church ministries, from being cluttered, keep them focused, then what we must do first is listen for our instruction. Listen for our instruction. Look in verse 5. It says there that these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. What seems to have struck Matthew the most about this event, being sent out for the very first time as an apostle by Jesus, are the instructions that Jesus gave. They seem to be more important to Matthew than the the trip itself. Matthew doesn't even tell us that they left. Matthew doesn't tell us where the different pairs of disciples went when they left. Matthew doesn't tell us what happened while they were out ministering. Matthew doesn't tell us how many people were converted through the ministry of these 12 disciples. And this is utterly unsatisfying. Because we want to know what happened. Guys, your first mission trip ever. What happened? What kind of sickness did you heal? How many demons did you drive out? When you went around and told people the kingdom of heaven is near, how did they respond? Silence. Matthew tells us none of those things. Chapter 10 that we have before us this morning is this commissioning of the the 12. Chapter 11 begins like this. After Jesus had finished instructing his disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. The focus shifts to Jesus and what he did and where he went. The disciples don't reappear again until chapter 14. There they've just come back from the mission trip, but they don't have time to give a report because suddenly they're so busy feeding the over 5,000 people that Jesus miraculously fed with five small loaves and two fish. We don't know what happened. Not from Matthew anyway. It appears unimportant to him. What is important to Matthew are the instructions that Jesus gave. Both Mark and Luke tell this same story. It takes them five verses to tell it. It takes Matthew 41 verses to tell it. The entire chapter. And maybe that's for a purpose. Because when we go, and where we go, and what we accomplish as we go will be different for every believer in Christ. It will be different for every church. But the need to look at, and the need to listen for the instruction from the one with the plan will never change. That will never change. Our need to look to 
and, and listen for the instruction of the one who is in charge. Where does he want you to go? What does he want you to do? What does he want us together as a church to do? It's answering these questions that keep us focused. It keeps your Christian life focused. It keeps our church ministry focused. Simple and uncluttered. The word instruction used here means authoritative commands. And it has a military connotation to it. It's a a commander, a general who is in charge, giving orders and passing those orders right down the line to the soldiers. That's what the word instruction means. It's from the top down. Because the private in the foxhole doesn't know all the general knows. He doesn't see all the general sees. Both his knowledge and his sight are limited by his foxhole. And so the foxhole should humble the soldier. The foxhole should cause the soldier to look to the general for instructions, for plans, for direction about what to do to win this battle. Because the general sees the whole picture. The general knows what's going on in hundreds of foxholes on many different fronts. Our perspective is limited. And that limitation should make us humble. And it should make you and me look to the one, God, who sees the whole picture. The one who is moving all events toward one amazing Conclusion, the one who has both the plan for our individual lives, the one who has a plan for our church about how we are going to conquer the kingdom of darkness around us and establish the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the the eternal kingdom of light. We should be asking him, what are your instructions? What do you have for us to do from this place at this time? Finding out our instructions from the Lord should be as interesting and as captivating to us as it was to Matthew. If we're going to keep our lives and our ministries simple and uncluttered so that we can do the things that we're supposed to do, moving toward the establishment of the kingdom of God, then we've got to be listening, listening, listening to the one who's in charge, the one giving the instructions. And you say, well, that's a no-brainer. I'm a Christian. Of course I listen to Jesus. Well, that's our hope. But to say that you will look to, to say that you will listen for your instructions, that's a big commitment to make. I am going to listen for instruction from the Lord. It's a simple commitment, but it isn't an easy one to keep. But if all of us together will follow through with that commitment, We'll find our lives simpler, not easier, but simpler and less cluttered and more satisfying. We might even say, oh, I actually enjoy doing this. How many times do you roll your eyes tell the truth when you have to come to church? Tell the truth. I want to go to a small group. I got to 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 got We wear people out. Simply, uncluttered listening for the directions, for the instructions from the Lord. That's what we see happen as we keep going, uh, moving through this passage. You know, they listen to the instructions of the Lord and he tells them where they should go and what they should do. Look at the second half of verse 5. Jesus says, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, if you were here last week, you remember I told you that I wanted to skip verse 2. 
because I thought it was clutter. I thought it was an unnecessary interruption of this commission that Jesus was giving to name the 12 apostles. And yet we saw that it was a blessing to all of us to look at that particular verse. Well, I wanted to skip this part too, the second half of verse 5. It talks about geography. You know, who cares about that? Where we go will be different. What good can come out of a geography lesson? So I wanted to skip it. But then I realized, as I realized last week, you know, for those of us who need lives and ministries to be simple and uncluttered and focused, this could be one of the most important parts of this entire passage for us. Because in it, Jesus says, do not go here, rather go there. And it reminds us that Jesus has an intentional plan. And intentionality is the key to getting rid of clutter. Determining where it is that the Lord wants us to go. And the result of our going will be the growth of the kingdom. I'm going to give you an example that you're familiar with from the life of Jesus. You know the story uh, of the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. Jesus says here, you know, don't go to the Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They fought each other. The Jews, as you know, believed the Samaritans were half-breeds. They weren't really Jews. They weren't really Gentiles. They were in between. They hated them. They despised them. They were disgusted by the Samaritans. Well, between Jerusalem in the south and Galilee in the north, that's where the Samaritans lived. That was Samaria. And so in order to get from Jerusalem or Judah to the south to Galilee... If you didn't want to pass through Samaria to be defiled, and many Jews didn't want to do, you had to go around. You had to cross the Jordan River, skirt the east side of Samaria, recross the Jordan River, and go into Samaria. But it was worth the effort. It was worth the effort. The the many extra miles, the many extra difficulties in traveling was worth it. So you as a Jew never had to pass through or be defiled or interact with the Samaritans. On one occasion, Jesus was traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee. John words the account this way. Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. The verse says Jesus had to go. Jesus didn't skirt around the edge. Scripture says he had to go. And that word generally means to be under a compulsion that's absolutely necessary. It's something that Jesus had to do. Jesus used the same word when he's talking to the two disciples who are walking uh, on the road to Emmaus on the day that Jesus was resurrected. He came up to them, though they didn't know it was Jesus. And he started to talk to him, to them. And he said, did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? They're things that Jesus had to do. Paul reasoned in the synagogue in Thessalonica and he explained and he proved from scripture that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. There were things that had to be done. Going through Samaria was something that Jesus had to do. He had to meet the woman at the well. He had to tell her about the living water. He had to tell her that those who drink of the living water that he offers will never thirst again, but instead have eternal life. He had to tell her that. Why her? Why the Samaritan woman? She was immoral. Five times married. The man she was living with presently was not her husband at all. I'm no expert on divorce in the Old Testament or the New Testament era. But I know that a man could divorce his wife 
for just about any reason. It was as simple as saying this. I divorced thee, I divorced thee, I divorced thee. Done. You know, she's out. What kind of woman would get a certificate of divorce from five husbands? Five of them. She the kind of woman you would want to invite to your small group? You know, I bet if she lived next door, you'd tell everybody who came, the woman who lives next door to us, she's been married five times, and the guy she's living with right now, not her husband at all. A scandal for us as well. But Jesus knew that this woman must have the living water that he could give, and so it was that he had to go through Samaria. So now we come back to the passage in front of us. The disciples cannot, from Jesus' instructions to them, believe that he is prejudiced against those outside the Jewish nation. They cannot believe that Jesus is yet another rabbi, another teacher who refuses to do what God required them to do, which was to bless the nations of the world. He did not give them this instruction because he did not care for the world, but only for his people. He gave them this instruction because he had a specific plan at a specific time for them to accomplish. The world was not their mission field. Not at this time. That would come later. That would come as Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. But that would come later, at a different time, for a different purpose. But right now, this is where Jesus had them to to go. This is what Jesus had for them to do. Now look in verse 7. Jesus says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus gave them a specific place to go. And Jesus gave them a specific message to communicate. He didn't tell them to go and preach a topical sermon. Four steps to a happy this. Or three ways to accomplish that. He didn't tell them to go and have a conference on marriage or a conference on the biblical principles for giving. No, he said, at this time, in this place, preach this very specific message. Are topical sermons good? Yes, sometimes. Is it good to know what the Bible teaches about marriage, about finances? Absolutely. But that's not the message that Jesus had for this time and for this place. And so with his instruction, Jesus clears away the clutter of what could be, what easily could be, and reveals what must be. And so the disciples can move out with focus. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true that Jesus has very specific things for us to do as a church. It's absolutely true that Jesus has very specific things for you to do as an individual. In your life as an individual and in our life together as a church, there are women at the well. There are people to whom the Lord wants to minister through us. He has a message to speak to them through us, whether it's to share the good news of the gospel with them, whether it's to disciple them, whether it's to counsel them in a moment of great need. We may find these people in places that we don't want to go. They may be people that we would never expect the Lord to have any interest in or be able to reach. But Jesus went through Samaria, that awful place, and he found that woman at the well so that she could find him, eternal life in him. And having found him, she went and told those in her life that she wanted to find Jesus, and she brought them to the Lord. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, 
I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. With the gospel that you and I believe, there is no exclusivity. The gospel is for all people. As scripture says, for every tribe, tongue, and nation. No culture is excluded from the truth of the gospel. But you and I, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, we can't get to everybody. We can't. We can only get to some people. You know, the circuit breaker in your house trips when the circuit is overburdened. And that's to prevent your house from burning down. And if you keep going, as I too often do, back and flipping the breaker, flipping the breaker, keep turning it back on, then you're ignoring the problem. And you may very likely burn your house down. You know, when we get overwhelmed, it trips our spiritual breaker. You know, but we keep going and we keep going and we keep going in a flurry of ministry activity. Because the magnitude of reaching the whole world, the magnitude of reaching a whole city can overwhelm us. But we try to do it. And it's that attempt that often clutters some churches up. Or maybe it's because we are so, because we're so instantaneously connected to the world. Through internet, like that. We know the needs, we know the troubles, we know the experiences of the entire world. We come, become so paralyzed at the great need that we do nothing at all. But Jesus doesn't want us to do everything. Jesus doesn't want us to do everything. Jesus wants us to do some things. And so we've got to be intentional and focused and uncluttered in ministry, or we may become overwhelmed, and our spiritual breaker may trip so that we do nothing at all. Choices have got to be made. And decisions, they can be fun, they can be exciting, but they're often frustrating when we have to make decisions in our lives and we don't know what to do. Jesus wants us to do some things. He takes care of everything. He is the omnipotent one. He is the omnipresent one. We need focus. And that's what Jesus had for his disciples. Don't go here, rather go there. Don't say this, rather say this. How are we going to know where the Lord wants us to go? How are we going to know what the Lord wants us to say? That's what it boils down to, isn't it? That's what we want to know. Where will we get specific instructions like the disciples received from the Lord? I can only answer that question this way. And it's an easy answer, but it's not a simple answer. In this book, God says that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for life and godliness, God tells us, is right here. So if we're looking for instruction from the Lord, We better know what's in his word. We better read it. We better be committed to it. And ask the spirit of God to apply this timeless truth to our time. Our time. Right now. The one in which we live. Jesus once said, I'll tell you the truth. 
The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. When Jesus took His turn on earth as a man, as we are taking our turn on earth right now, He went to His Father to get the plan. That's what Jesus did. He went to the Father to get the plan, to see what He was doing, to see what He wanted Him to do. That's the only way that you and I are going to know what we have to do. And so we've got to answer these questions for ourselves. Yes, no questions. Do you believe that Jesus has a place for you to be? Do you believe that Jesus has a word for you to speak? Do you believe that Jesus has people to whom he wants you to minister? And if you've answered yes to those questions, then how do you believe that the Lord is going to transfer that information to you? If we're not asking, Lord, what are our instructions? Why should he answer? If we're not asking, Lord, where should we go? Then why should he say, oh, go there? If we're not asking before we open our mouths, Lord, what should I say? Then why should he answer? And so it always comes back again and again and again. Though we want something different. He comes back to a serious commitment to the Word of God. And it comes back to a serious commitment to prayer. It's that simple. If you are serious about doing what the Lord has for you to do in a focused way, you'll be committed to the Word of God. You'll be committed to prayer. If you're serious about Redeemer Presbyterian Church being used by the Lord with uncluttered focus, you'll pray for this church. You'll pray for the leaders of this church that we will hear from the Lord His instructions about what He wants us to, to, to lead you to do, us together to do. And that will not be everything, even if you clamor for it. <laughs> well, we've always had vacation Bible school. Well, you know... Maybe not. But doing what's best. Doing things that bring transformation. Pray for yourself. Pray that the Lord will show you what you can eliminate from your life. To get it uncluttered. Things that drain you. Things that keep you from doing. Maybe they're good things, but they keep you from doing what's best. So that we can be people who do what we are supposed to do. And say what we are supposed to say. So that we can become now who we are supposed to be now. So that we don't kick ourselves and say, why didn't we do this sooner? We could have done it so much better. Jesus said, don't go here, go there. And as you go, preach this truth. May the same be true for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. For your word and for how something as simple as geography can reveal huge theological truths about you, about your omniscience, how you know everything, about your power, the truth that you know every detail in this universe, including the number of hairs on our head. You knew where the Samaritan woman was. You knew you wanted to claim her as your own. And you made that happen. Father, I pray that we 
would be serious in our lives about doing the things that you call us to do. Lord, time is short, and we need to do what's really, really important. We're here this morning young and old. Those who are older perhaps feel the urgency more than those who see another 70 years stretched out before them. But Lord, in this moment, you can convict all of our hearts. Say, no, no matter where I am along the road, along the path, I need to unclutter my life and focus on what's really important. I need to go to the Word of God. I need to pray, come before you and receive my instruction from you. Your Holy Spirit applies your truth and and gives guidance as you promise that He will do. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you as people who are seeking to live uncluttered lives and worship in a church that has uncluttered ministry. We would be focused people. Show us what it is you would have us to do, where you would have us to go, what you would have us to say. We trust you to do what you promise that you will do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.